You're on ABC Radio Overnights with me, Lisa Pellegrino. And we cross now to Celeste Katz-Marston, a political reporter and radio host in Boston, who joins you today. Hello. Good morning. Good morning, Celeste. Uh, an interesting time in Boston at the moment and, of course, wherever you go in the world. Uh, one of the biggest topics is COVID-19. And in uh, in your neck of the woods at the moment, about 33% of service members have declined voluntary coronavirus vaccinations. Yeah, that's that's something that people are are seeing a lot of here. These reports that uh, the vaccine is becoming more widely available in stages, uh, available to certain groups depending on their occupation or on their age. But some people just don't want it, and uh, there's a, a large portion, as you say, about a third of uh, members of the military just don't want to take the shot. And. A third who are not taking it, that that's quite a lot. But, you know, we do have to say two-thirds did take it. But why why is it thought that this third are not? Well, there are a, a lot of reasons, and I think that some of those reasons mirror what we're seeing in the, the general civilian population, which is that some people, unfortunately, just don't trust the vaccine. It was approved on an emergency use basis in the United States. It hasn't gone through all the, the traditional approvals through the uh, Food and Drug Administration and so on. And some people say they don't want to be guinea pigs for uh, a new uh, new vaccine. They want to wait and see what happens to other people who have taken it. And you can see uh, what kind of problems you get when people have have uh, taken that position on getting a vaccine that uh, could prevent people from getting or spreading a, a deadly illness. Uh, the military, from my understanding, in the US, uh, there, there's various vaccines that they have to take. Couldn't it be mandatory? They just make it that they have to have to take it? Uh, yeah, they definitely do require uh, a battery of vaccinations uh, to enter military service in this country. Obviously, we have an, an all-volunteer force now. We are not uh, actively drafting people into the armed forces. But again, because this vaccine was approved on an emergency basis, uh, the military command does not actually have the power to uh, to compel people to take it. People can make a choice about whether they want the uh, the shot, and a lot of people are just saying they they want to hang back and see what happens with uh, other people uh, after they've had the shot for a while to see if they suffer any uh, side effects or ill effects. Uh, so right now, the military is in kind of a holding pattern on getting everybody vaccinated. And I understand that there's a law um, that is based on something historical that's happened as to why it can't be forced upon people without getting that appro- approval from the FDA. Uh, yeah, there is. There was a, an unfortunate, uh, you know, a terrible incident in uh, American history um, that had to do with a, a group called the Tuskegee Airmen, or the, there was a something called the Tuskegee Experiment, where. Uh, uh, men in the uh, armed forces were uh, injected actually as part of medical experimentation. Uh, I believe it was, uh, they were injected with syphilis um, and people watched them die. Uh, They were not treated and this was supposed to be uh, an experiment on how syphilis affects human beings, but what it, how it affected some of these people was it killed them and they were uh, 
deliberately infected with this virus uh, as members of the military. They were not given access to drugs that could have helped them recover, like something as basic as penicillin. And so that is something that really lives on in the memory, uh, particularly of uh, people of color uh, in this country, that the government, uh, some people feel, cannot be trusted because they have, in fact, experimented on human beings. Oh, well, it'll be interesting to see how, how it goes. And um, the, the, the rollout of the vaccine is taking place. And in Massachusetts, uh, I believe it is, that there's they're kind of not a priority, it seems, for, for getting the vaccine. Is, is that how it's, how it's being felt on the ground? Well, I think that in in Massachusetts, uh, where where Boston is, where I am speaking to you from, uh, we are seeing vaccine getting out to people, but it's being done in stages, uh, starting with the very oldest people, people who are 75 or older, uh, people who are frontline workers, like healthcare workers and so on. But again, you are seeing some of that phenomenon that you're seeing uh, in the military that we just talked about. Some people don't want the shot. And that could, uh, you know, extend to even people who work in congregate care facilities, as they're called here, like nursing homes or long-term care homes. Some of the caretakers in those facilities do not want the vaccine. Uh, at the same time, we've had some problems with the distribution of the vaccine uh, with people swarming these websites, trying to get appointments to get uh, one of the first of at least two doses, because this is a two-dose vaccine, and not being able to get through. So you have older people kind of struggling with the internet, struggling to make an appointment, and they're trying to deal with that with like uh, setting up a telephone line to make appointments and making the process easier. But it's it's gotten a little muddled. And again, that's something to be worried about. And I read somewhere that the Commonwealth of Massachusetts um, is at the bottom of every state's national vaccine distribution ranking. Is this an opinion or, or a fact? Yeah, I think, you know, again, with a lot of things uh, from uh, vaccine distribution to infection rates to death rates, people do have different measures. But I think that, um, you know, the, the information that you're referring to was from a group of lawmakers who were saying, look, Massachusetts is not doing a great job of distributing the vaccine and setting up an infrastructure to do that, to get it to the people who want it and need it, even though... Uh, Boston and Massachusetts is very famous in the United States for having great healthcare uh, infrastructure, uh, teaching institutions like Massachusetts should be able to handle this. And people are just not happy with uh, the the speed of, of rolling this out and getting it to people who are in danger from COVID-19. What, what are the cases in Boston at the moment? How do they sit at the moment? Yeah, right now I get, um, uh, I do get some updates. I think that in the United States, we are approaching uh, uh, half a million deaths. Certainly the infection rate is is larger, but um, I don't know exactly if we have the, the latest update for Massachusetts right now, but we are seeing some progress uh, in terms of, uh, in terms of, um, the number of infections per day, the number of deaths slowing down. So I would say we're kind of in the top third right now for Massachusetts in terms of how we're doing compared to other states. Um, we've had uh, about 560,000 cases reported, um, somewhere between 15,000 and 16,000 deaths uh, reported as of yesterday. Uh, and during times of disasters, or in this case a pandemic, this is when um, fraud and and different things can spike, and that's what's kind of being found 
uh, happening in the US at the moment. What, what's been the case with the masks? Yeah, unfortunately. So one of the best protections are the protections used by, again, frontline healthcare workers is something called the uh, uh, N95 respirator mask. And that does a better job of a regular uh, cloth mask or a surgical mask of keeping out uh, or letting out uh, virus. And what we're seeing now is that there's a lot of counterfeiting of these masks. Uh, you know, to put it very simply, people are trying to make money off the pandemic and they are selling millions and millions of fake masks, masks that don't do what they're supposed to do uh, to hospitals and uh, healthcare facilities and so on. So uh, we are seeing increasingly uh, places like the Department of Homeland Security conducting these big raids to try to keep these masks out of the hands of uh, healthcare workers to stop people or deter people from making money by selling these fake masks, um, you know, on the on the free market. But it's a scary thought. If you think about it, it's like, well, you know, people are always trying to make a buck. But if you are a doctor working in a COVID-19 ward or a nurse who's treating for uh, treating COVID-19 patients and you put on a mask thinking that you're going to be safe from the virus and it's a fake, you know, you can see where that goes. People are, are going to get sick and could even die because they were misled about the protection that they were given to uh, um, defend themselves against the virus. And some of these people have the fake mask. They're actually out in the public. Yeah, there definitely are. And, you know, you see, just like you see with uh, any consumer product, you could be buying, uh, you know, sneakers online. People are doing a lot of online shopping. Uh, you could be buying sneakers, you could be buying clothing, you could be buying electronics, and it's fake. People don't have, uh, right now, at least the same ability to walk into a store and see and handle products for themselves, or they may not want to do that because they don't want to expose themselves to other people and to crowds and so on. But in this case, it, it really is sort of, you know, morally wrong. It's one thing to buy a, <clears throat> excuse me, it's one thing to buy a, a fake pair of Nikes. And it's a very different thing to uh, put on a fake mask when you're going into a, um, a ward or a floor of a hospital where people are dying from COVID-19. In more positive news, people are looking to the skies uh, over the next uh, coming days because there's a, a landing happening in Mars. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, something that we're we're looking forward to. Definitely a more a more positive uh, a more positive development. The Mars rover is uh, scheduled to land uh, on the red planet uh, today at three fifty five p.m. Eastern time. That's uh, Perseverance, and this is this is the culmination of like ten years of really hard work by NASA and by a lot of scientists to explore that planet. And um, this is part of investigating what's going on there. What the um, what what the planet is like, what the surface is like, and so on. And, you know, looking way, way ahead, maybe having people land on and live on Mars. So that's kind of cool. And they're looking for ancient life as well, as in uh, remnants and uh, proof that there was ancient life there, which is very interesting because it, it, it would tell a lot about Earth, they think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to see if there are if there could be life forms, if there is, you know, um, if there's a system there that could sustain life in terms of uh, water or nutrients or, uh, you know, they're looking at the sort of uh, the structures of of the surface and so on and, and what's beneath the surface. It really is fascinating if you think about how long this has taken and, and what it could mean for humanity. It's very cool. Celeste Katz-Marston, political reporter and radio host. Thank you so much. Before you go, do 
do you like the monkeys? Very important question. Of course I like the monkeys. <laughs> you sound, oh, sorry, I might have offended you by asking that <laughs> very obvious question. Well, we are having a monkeys special, so make sure you're listening, Celeste. Thank you so much. On ABC Radio, Celeste Katz-Marston. Up next, the monkeys.